So let's look in 2 Kings chapter 4. I just think the Lord's going to do something with this. Um, Initially, I thought it was going to be a message kind of exclusively about money. And um, because we're teaching through the life of Elisha, and this does, and I'm going to mention some of this, but um, this is really a message about surrender. And it's going to hit us in the context of our money. In the room right now, there are people on government assistance and millionaires in this room. There, there, there are a lot of people that are like right in the middle of those things. And then some that may be on the way to financial uh, wealth and others that might be just close to needing government assistance. And yet Jesus came after all of us with his glorious gospel and he made us infinitely wealthy in the things of the Spirit because we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It does not get better than that, by the way. Y'all are not hearing me on that one. You are a co-heir with Jesus, and that's not just, yeah, that'll be great when we get to heaven. No, you are a co-heir with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that means that there is all sorts of both spiritual wealth, and I do believe, in many cases, material wealth. If, if that doesn't sit right with you, you need to tear out large chunks of your Bible. Because you are going to find that there are many people that walk the closest with God, that God made super abundantly wealthy. God's not against wealth, nor does, it, does he guarantee that we'll be wealthy on earth. But the one thing I do know about this, whether we are impoverished or millionaire status, the same clause from money want to sink into both groups. I know people that have nothing that are more covetous and greedy than people that have everything. I know people that have everything that are more generous, that just give it away, than people that are in the middle income. Your money does not define you. Your money reveals who you are. What you do with money reveals who you are you don't believe me take it up with jesus because jesus said if you'll follow your heart and your treasure you'll find they're at the same place and so i want to go into this today not really preaching not trying to take we're not going to take up another offering some of y'all got your purses up like this it's okay it's all right you got one hand in the air worshiping the other hand saying where's my wallet just relax okay this is actually this is actually i believe going to help some people today like Anybody that wants to be helped can get some real help today. I know what time it is. God bless you workers down in the nursery. Um, Hang in there with us. And if you absolutely have to leave, we got it. But if you can stay, just stay. 2 Kings 4, verse 1. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha. She's crying this out. Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And Elisha said, go outside. Borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, 
and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all those vessels. When one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told Elisha, the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons, watch this, can live on the rest. I don't know that there is a more concise narrative in Scripture that reveals a bigger turnaround, except maybe the resurrection passages in the gospel. This is an absolute turnaround. This is not a fable. This is not a cleverly devised story that is mythological in nature. This is the Holy Spirit-inspired, inscripturated, preserved Word of God detailing how a real woman went through a deep valley with no human help and no human hope, and God met her there with an unprecedented, at least in her life, miraculous provision. But he did not do it apart from her cooperation. That is the message I want you to hear today. God is not unwilling to bring breakthrough to our lives, but he is unwilling to honor our prayers that we continually offer and we never move our feet. We move our voices, we move our tears, but we don't move our feet. And that is not a prayer that God will answer from those that are born again. So big boys and big girls, we're putting on our big britches this morning and we're going to look into a big text about a big God who did a big miracle in the life of this lady. So let's just go back up to verse 1. Are y'all with me this morning? Help me preach this morning. Help me preach this morning. Let's just start out in her life. I'm not even going to really parse this. Just verse number 1, it reveals that time of life when the blade of difficulty cuts into you. And I don't have to ask you if you know about it. I know you know about it because you're alive. You're, you're living on planet Earth. It happens. This was her blade that dug deep. Look at it. The wife of one of the sons of the prophets cries out to Elisha, and here's her cry. Your servant, my husband, is dead. He had just died. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Now, very quickly here. This is the context of death and loss and ambush. And I find it noteworthy that it happened to a couple that feared the Lord. They aren't pagans. They aren't people that had abandoned God. This was one of the prophets that has been associated with the prophet Elisha. So his life in some way was connected to whatever the move of God was doing there in Israel at that time. And so these were people who were, in our sense of the word, born again, justified, committed unto the Lord. They were living in meager means to the extent that when this husband died, uh, a short time later, there was no ability for the wife and the two children to sustain themselves. 
As a matter of fact, he died and left them debt. Or if he died with no debt, she incurred debt by trying to sustain herself, waiting on the Lord. Regardless, there was a debt that could not be paid. And so what was happening? She had lost her husband. And then on the backwash of that, now the creditor was coming. And in those days when you couldn't pay your bills, but you had children, they would take your children from you. And these were probably not like five and six years old, but they could have been as young as pre-adolescent. They might have been 10 if they were old enough to go and work in a field or to haul stone or to bring in a, a, a harvest. They would take those two, in this case, these two sons, and put them to work until the, the um, parallel debt worthy of whatever work he got out of them was paid off and then they'd be free to go back home so this woman had lost her husband she had lost all of her material possessions she was about to lose her sons and in that culture the only hope she had of being sustained were if these two boys could grow up and help her so she was losing her future livelihood she was losing everything and she was a god-fearer she was somebody that loved the lord She was somebody who, along with her husband, had in some way served the Lord, and God did not give them immunity from difficulty. You need to hear this with me. I know you already know this, but there's a little nasty slice of Christendom that lies to us and says, if you just walk with God and you just live a holy life and you just stay committed and you just pay your tithes and you just do this and you just do this, then none of this stuff will ever, ever find you. Well, I can't think of anybody holier than Jesus Christ, and look what found him on earth. God did not even spare his own son from the reality of struggle, suffering, abandonment, and rejection on planet Earth. And Jesus gave everything. And so the blade of difficulty is going to find you. Now listen, maybe your circumstance isn't parallel to hers, but you have your own burden to bear. And sometimes it hits you really hard in the sector of finance, which typically is the last place the gospel gets to in a person's life. The gospel gets our soul, spirit. The gospel gets our our emotions. The gospel gets our mind. Hallelujah. I hope you're a thinking Christian. Oh, I'm popping. That's either, Lord help me. But the last place the gospel typically gets is our pocketbook, our our savings, our checking account, our, our income. Sometimes it gets there, but it never gets any further into there. Because somebody taught us when we were born again that We now need to give 10%, and we were told and instructed that if we give 10%, then all of our kingdom obligations are fulfilled, and nobody ever pressed us into what the Bible actually says about giving. And so the gospel doesn't always get deeper into our finances. So what's going to happen with this lady? Well, you already know because I read the passage, but let's pretend like we don't have it, and let's walk in her sandals for a few moments. So the difficulty, of the blade of difficulty can cut you. It cut her But now let's look at when the voice of hope speaks to you. Go down into verse number two with me. I love the fact that she knew where to go. She wanted godly counsel. And so God's spokesman offered possibility to her. Elisha just asked this question. She's pouring her heart out. She didn't send an email. She didn't just, you know, send one of her boys. She comes and she's crying after Elisha. And Elisha looks at her and his desire is to help her. But Elisha's not rolling. He he doesn't have a ton of money. He's not able to satisfy her creditors, but he does say this. I love the voice of hope coming from the representative of God. He's saying, what can I do for you? How can I enter into this with you? 
How can I come alongside of you as an advocate or a helper? So in other words, he didn't just shrug it off and give the old, um, you know, be ye, fill, uh, be ye filled and be ye warmed thing that James warned us about. Elisha's like, okay, this, this, is, this is brother so-and-so's wife, and she's in big trouble. And so immediately, at least she's got an audience with the prophet. We'll go down further into verse number two. I love the question that he asks her. He's willing to help, but look what he does. He, he, he reveals that God's way always faces reality. He says, tell me, lady, tell me, daughter of God, what do you have in the house? Now, this is important because when, you're, when the blade cuts and when you're in deep, and especially if it's in the area of finance or material goods and it feels like the walls are crashing in on you, there's something within our heart that it fixates on what we don't have. I don't have enough. I don't have this. I can't do this. This is bill is coming or this situation's coming. My creditors are coming after me. It's going to affect my children. It's going to affect my livelihood. I may lose my house. I may do, and we are, we're naturally drawn to the drama and the danger and, and, and the, the loss, the potential loss. There's something about the human heart that, that is until the Holy Spirit really just kind of reframes us, there's something about the human heart on its own that kind of gravitates towards fear. And she's not in a situation that is unwarranted for concern, but I like what Elisha has. He says, let's not talk about what you don't have and what you've lost. Tell me, what, what do you have? Sound like uh, diversity. What do you have? He, he's asking her, what do you have in the house? What is in your power? What, what can we begin to operate from? Um, the reality is, is that most of us as Americans, as Westerners, we say we're broke and our impoverished friends and brothers and sisters in third world countries say, oh, no, you're not. What do you mean you're broke? How many shirts do you have? How many meals did you eat? Where'd you sleep last night? Oh, by the way, I don't feel guilty about that. I just want us to be honest about it. I don't feel guilty about the things God's blessed me with, but I don't want to pretend that in moments where things have gotten tight that I let things come out of my mouth that aren't true. And so he, he comes to her and he's empowering her. Tell me, Elisha, the prophet, what you have. He's actually empowering her. Now, this is a miracle-working prophet. He, I mean, he's raising the dead. He, he makes food multiply very much like Jesus did. If you, if you haven't been following this series, find them online because we're, we're really going over this miraculous power of Elisha. But it's very in interesting that he doesn't just do an abracadabra in the spirit and a bag of money sitting there that he's actually going for more than just fix, fixing her financial problems. Uh, hear me on this, especially those of you that, um, we, we've had this over the years where people come with a highly presumptuous attitude to the church and it, it's a gimme. Gimme this, gimme that. I've wrecked my life, I've ruined my life, I'm stuck at this, this hotel, they're about to kick me out. I, I just spent my last $3 on a, on a pack of cigarettes and listen, you gotta feed me. And there's a highly presumptuous attitude. And what we've learned over the years is sometimes the worst thing you can do to somebody who has money problems is give them money. 
So Elisha, though there's no, this woman's character is not in question at all. Elisha wants to go deeper into her life. He's actually more concerned about her soul than he is about where she's going to be living. But hallelujah, he represents a God that's about to take care of both. So she says, look, look in verse number two again at the end of it. So we're talking about the voice of hope speaking to you. Elisha offers possibility. God makes her face reality through Elisha's question. And now God's plan confronts improbability. He said, uh, she said, your servant has nothing. Now that would have been, it didn't stop there, but what a, your servant has nothing. And then she's just incredibly just precise and honest. She says, nothing except in my house, there's this little thing of oil. I don't want to get into all the Hebrew, but it's, it's not cooking oil. It's just probably a little bit of anointing oil where they would freshen up a little bit. And the indication is just a little bit left. And I believe that she's being actual, factual, and true. That, that everything else she did, she waited and waited and waited till the last second to get help from Elisha. And when, when she did, he says, what do you have? And she said, I have zero. I mean, Brother, we have nothing except I think on my dresser, there's this little thing. It might have a little bit of oil in it. You know, when you got a jar of something in the refrigerator and you get the longest spoon you can and you're doing that and you're, you're just like, okay, that'll do. That's, that's where she was. That's all she had. Her whole life had been reduced to whatever was in that jar. And that was going to be plenty. And let me tell you why. Because she took the very, very little that she had and she surrendered it. She put it in the hands of God, so to speak. Um, I do believe that there are probably people that are listening to this or watching it that you're, you're, you're in a similar situation. You're getting close. And my heart breaks for you. I don't know how you got there. It's really none of my business. Um, but my heart breaks for you. And what's about to happen for this lady is probably going to need to be a bridge that you're going to have to cross if, if things are going to change. And so let's follow. Let's go a little further with her. The next thing that happens is not compassion, mercy, and rescue. The next thing that happens are steps of obedience are communicated. That's what happens to her. So first of all, there would be initiative required of this woman. Even in the midst of her destitute state, Elisha is telling her, there's some things you need to do to fix your situation. And so he says, go outside. Now, that's very simple, but her answer wasn't going to happen in her house or Elisha's house, wherever they were at that moment. So he says, I want you to go outside. Now, he's talking about literally leaving wherever they were, going outside, because he's about to give her some secondary instructions. But it speaks to me. Just that phrase speaks to me. And I think when we're locked into trouble, when we're locked into an impossible situation, when we've got bills that are coming in and nothing to pay for them, and some in the room and some listening or watching are in that state, you that are blessed, you need to remember, not everybody's blessed. Some are paycheck to paycheck, and they're two paychecks behind. That's happening. And they love the Lord. They may not have had the opportunities you had, or maybe they had the opportunities and they blew them, but that's where they are today. But one of the things that has to happen is we have to, at times, step outside of that problem, take a step back, get out of the problem, take some fresh eyes, and look at it for what, it's it, for what it is. 
And so Elisha is saying to this woman, I want you to go outside, get away from this moment, get away from the fixation on what you don't have. I want you to go and do something here for a moment. So what was he going to ask her to do? Well, look down at verse number three further. He was giving her steps of obedience. The first was take initiative. You have to do something. Stop waiting on somebody else to fix your problem. You take initiative. And, and it's going to involve humility. Look what he tells her to do. Go borrow vessels. Those are bowls or jars or vials, whatever you want to call it. Go borrow vessels from all of your neighbors. Now, it's a totally different culture. It's 2,800 years ago or so. It's in the Middle East, primitive culture. But, you know, bowls or vials or dishes or, or what have you, they didn't have them like we do. So when you're going to borrow your neighbor's bowl, it's going to come with some, all right, you bring that back. You make sure I get that back. That's my favorite bowl. <laughs> they only have two, but that's my favorite bowl. And, and so, and there may have been some explanation. Why do you need to borrow a bowl? And you're going to find out that really what Elisha wanted was what was about to happen was just going to be between her and God. So she wasn't even able to really explain herself. But she was told, go to every one of your neighbors, and I want you to get as many vessels as you can. And so she automatically had to start asking for help. Sometimes when you're broke and you're struggling and you're, you're, you're not able to meet your ends, your worst enemy is not your financial situation. Sometimes it, your worst enemy is uh, your pride. Because you, you dread what somebody will think about you more than you dread what's about to happen to you if you don't take action. Who was it said, ain't too proud to beg, right? So she did. And I like what Elisha says, because this is what we're about to turn the corner. Right now it's kind of depressing. But we're about to turn the corner. He says, and, and just picture if you're hearing it, go outside, borrow vessels from your neighbors. And then he throws this in there. He's raising her expectation. He says, and don't get too few of them. What is that? It's a hint. It's a scent. Elisha's putting out there, oh, yeah, don't half-step this thing. You're about to need an abundance of vessels. Now, there's no open dialogue about what's going on, but she said, I've got one vessel with a tiny bit of oil in it, and he's saying, go get a bunch of vessels. Go borrow as many as you can from your neighbors. Now, she's a smart enough cookie to know he's about to do something here. I've got a little oil in one vessel. He's telling me to get more vessels. I wonder if I'm about to get more oil. And so she goes out and she does it. L let me just ask you this, especially if this is hitting you right where you didn't feel like getting hit this morning. Do you have an expectation that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think in your situation? I'm not saying in the cosmos. I'm talking about in your finances, in your situation. Do you believe that his, his will for you is to be indebted and, and um, struggling and people calling you demanding money? Do you really believe that's the will of the Father for one of his children? Do you, do you believe that he wants to live you at a level that is less than what he has destined for you? Do you believe he wants you to be tied in knots and worried and groaning? Now, listen, I'm not preaching at you. I've been that guy before. So I'm, this is part confession, amen? I am telling you, I have been that guy before. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to go to the mailbox, and you're like, please, God, no, please, 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 please. You open it up, and there's a stack of bills in there, and you just got paid. And I, I've been there. I've been there as a non-believer, and I've been there for a while as a believer, 
And, and I had to come to, the question, uh, to come to the realization that that's actually not the way God wants me to live. That's actually not the reality. He does not want me to be more concerned about money than I am about his glory and his kingdom. And money is a tyrant if you don't handle it well. Money, listen, Jesus could have picked anything in the cosmos, but he picked money when he said, you can't worship God or something else. What did he pick? The something else was money. He said, you're going to end up loving God and hating money or loving money and hating God. That, That came out of the mouth of the Savior. So Jesus exposes the conflict of the human heart. And so he wants us straight on money, and he's going he's gonna to help us this morning. So look in verse number four. So she's going out, and she's borrowing all these vessels. So initiative, go outside. Humility, borrow vessels from your neighbors. Don't give them all the answers. Just humble yourself. Go get it. Raise your expectation. Don't come back home with five vessels. Get as many as you can because God's about to bless you. God's about to do something. Raise your level of expectation, sister. And then verse number four, faith. Now, here's, here's where the rubber meets the road. Then go in. Once you've gotten all the vessels, go in, shut the door behind yourself. Bring your boys in there. Pour into all these vessels. And when one of the vessels gets full, set it to the side and then start filling up the next one. Um, you know that you can't fill a bunch of vessels with oil in one vessel that hadn't even filled that vessel. You understand that that's impossible, right? You understand that scientifically that can't happen. And realistically, that's not going to happen. And that practically, that's a foolish thing to do, is to take this little bit that you got, and you're going to pour it in all of these vessels. I mean, think about it. Her whole Picture the scene. Her whole house is filled with all of these barred vessels that they've gone over the little village and gotten them. The boys are bringing them home. They're laying them down. And she's still got that original vial with a tiny bit of oil in it. And Elisha's instructions are, okay, set up all these borrowed vessels. And what I want you to do is I want you to take that oil that you've got at home. I want you to fill up all the other vials. She never expresses doubt. She never says, hey, you're playing me. You're messing with my head. She never says, Elisha, while my husband was at the School of the Prophets, I was down at Georgia Tech, and I have a degree. And you know, she, For all the techies, I had to pick a school. That was the one I picked. She didn't say that. Matter of fact, it doesn't look like she said anything that's recorded. She just obeyed. She took the little that she had, instead of clinging to it, instead of treasuring it, instead of trying to stretch it out, instead of just hoping that God would do it for her, there were steps of instruction given from the source of spiritual wisdom at that time, the prophet Elisha, and she obeyed. She did the impractical, she did the illogical, and she obeyed something that on paper makes zero sense. So would would it turn out well for her? Let me give you this about this faith and about what he told her to do. I do find it noteworthy that Elisha said, I want you to do this behind closed doors. It's it's a family matter. Get your sons, they can help you. And go and shut your door and pour into all those vessels and just keep going. I want to give you this. Lord, let there be grace on this, please, in Jesus' name. Let there be grace on this. Let there be faith to receive this. 
When we think of breakthrough, we almost always think of this public explosion, of, and that's breakthrough. Breakthrough often flows publicly, but its source is always in private. You see, when the Lord wants to really do breakthrough in our life, he doesn't usually do it on a stage. He wants to get you small. He wants to get you still. And he usually wants to get you alone. And in that moment, we recognize two things. Oh, wow, life's too big for me. And oh, wow, it's not too big for God, and he loves me. And he's for me. And he's with me. And it wasn't to be put on a parade. Not every miracle is meant to be publicly uh, paraded. This was a miracle that was going to take place in her living room. And the problem was hers alone. And then the, the solution was going to be privately between her and the Lord. And so we have to go there. So there's a moment in time where this lady and her two boys, I, I just picture these two boys, let's see, 10 years old, let's just, they're, they're at a table, mama's sitting down, it's been a season of loss for them. There's been no hope, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. But Elisha, the prophet, with this awesome track record in the miraculous, has told them what to do, and I just see the two boys on the other side of the table, and mama's sitting at the table, and she's got the first four vessels there, and she picks up the vessel that she's had, blows the dust off of it. She looks, she can just see a tiny bit of oil. She looks at the boys. Maybe she offers a prayer. Jesus said, when it's time for you to pray, go in your closet, shut the door. Elisha told her, when it's time for you to get the oil, go into your house, shut the door. And so, and so she takes and she said, here we go, boys. Father Yahweh, help us. And it starts flowing. And it starts flowing. Maybe she spills a little. She's like, oh, oh, we need to be careful. And, and then she's like, maybe we don't. And that one fills up, and she says, uh, Johan, go take that and put it over there. Philemon, oh, that's a Greek name, sorry. Uh, Abraham, g- give me and, and she's like. And she says, that's anointing oil. I shouldn't have done that. Now, I'm having a little fun here because this is, this is this, something like this happened. I don't know exactly how it was. What I want to do is I want to demystify our approach to the scriptures where we make this some foggy, ethereal story that happened. And no, it's a real mom who went to a real funeral, buried a real husband that she loved, was in real debt, was about to lose two very real sons to a really intense creditor, and she was experiencing a real miracle right there in front of her eyes. And she was obeying real instructions that make no sense on paper. So we'll we'll get down to the end of it. I'm I'm so glad you hung out. Here we go. Verses, uh, oh, where's my glasses? Yeah. (laughs) Woo, y'all thought I was dancing. (laughs) So, So what we've celebrated with her but I want to talk about us. Because I'm going to tell you something. There's some really high volumes of kingdom oil that God wants to pour forth. For you, in you, through you. I promise you that. There are some things maybe I've said today that I'm not 100% convinced of. Maybe I'm working through them. But that, what I just said, I'm absolutely convinced of. 
this is a day where God is, poor, he's going to do it. The question is, do you want in on it? He wants to pour it out on you. He's going to pour it out for you, in you, through you. He's just waiting for you to say, I'm the vessel, here I am. So this is last couple of verses, when the time for action finds you. So we've got to enter into this process via obedience. So she went from Elisha, shut the door behind herself and her sons. We've already covered that. She obeyed. Say that with me, obedience. Obedience. Listen, he still blesses it, and he never blesses disobedience. He just doesn't. It would make him a hypocrite, and if he was a hypocrite, he couldn't be God. So God won't bless hypocrisy in our lives. It doesn't mean he won't be merciful or compassionate to us, but he won't bless it. I want God's blessing on your finances. I want it on mine. Unfortunately, we live in a society, in a culture, in a generation where quite honestly, you can make a ton of money without God's blessing. Just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean God's, God's blessed you. There's, now listen, I mean, I don't want to have to cite specific cases, but look out in our culture and famous people that you know they're loaded, but everything that pours forth from their life is kind of anti-God. In, in the very strictest sense, God hasn't blessed them. But isn't it amazing that he has made mankind, men and women, that we have the, the genius to be able to understand a system, commit to a system, excel in a system, and profit in a system. And we can actually do that without necessarily being actively blessed by him. I don't want that. The scriptures speak volumes about the reality that it's so much better for you to be living in a meager circumstance with the blessing of God than to be living in an exponentially wealthy circumstance devoid of the blessing of God. I, I want you to be blessed. And, and I, don't want, I don't want any of us to come up short from the, from the full blessing of God. This, this is attached to how you view God's heart. If you grew up with a stingy parent, then you probably have a hard time receiving affirmation that God's really happy to bless you. And if you grew up in a very like, religious culture where you were told over and over again that to be spiritual means to look miserable. So try to look sick if you can. <laughs> to never have nice things, never want nice things. And if nice things ever find you, beware. It's a religious system. And you cannot prove that by scripture. I can prove the opposite to you. Paul put it this way, and this is the best way. This is where we gotta go. I have learned in whatever state I am in therewith to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Paul said, the goal is not to have and to hold. The goal is to cultivate contentment no matter what I have or what I don't have. But Paul did say, I know how to abound. The apostle Paul said that. So there were seasons where Paul had it good. And he didn't make any apologies for it. Why? Because it was evidence of God's blessing on his life for him. So we've got to enter into this process. So there, there's times where we've got to shut the door and think about this. She gets alone with her boys, and, she's in, and they're shutting everything out, and, it, and, it, and it, it, it illustrates a moment of action and contemplation. 
where you're shutting out everything else and saying, we are in the midst of something that I don't think God wants us to continue in. Shut every other voice out. Father, speak. Speak, Lord, I want to obey. Now, we've got to remain committed to the process via trust. It's easy to enter into a process, but how many of you know the process can get long? It's illustrated by her pouring says, as, as the boys brought her the vessel, she kept pouring into them. And so she, she gets down to this last one. It's full. I mean, every single vessel was filled. She started out with an, a drip. And now they're running out of shelf space. I mean, it's everywhere. And she says, Johan, bring me, bring me another bottle. He's like, Mom, we've used them all. And that's when the oil stopped. Now, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. I've, I've read commentators that said, bless God, she didn't have enough faith. Should have been more vessels. And they're criticizing this woman. I mean, I'm like, some people just can't be happy with anything, including a miracle. <laughs> and so they, they feel everything they surrendered got filled. I want you to hear that. Everything we surrender will be filled everything we surrender will be filled that is a kingdom principle when we lay it down at his feet he fulfills his intentions for that that is the heart of father god when we hold it and we don't trust and we think we can do better without it he doesn't quit loving us I do believe it saddens his heart but we, because we've somehow convinced ourselves that it's better in our hands than in his. And she just took a drop by faith, poured it out, and filled up every surrendered thing that she could pour it into. There, there is a process. When it comes to giving, when it comes to honoring God with your finances, when it comes to being faithful in giving, you have to stick with it. It actually needs to be the core value with our finances as kingdom citizens. Hear me on that. As kingdom citizens, everything else we do with our money orbits around our kingdom opportunities and commitments. So when, and young people, you hear me on this, when you're thinking about buying a car or buying a house or making a large purchase, the very first question you have to ask is, can I do that and still faithfully sow into the kingdom? He said, Jeff, that's just radical. No, it's not. It's not. It only feels radical because nobody does it. It's not radical. It's normal. And so literally, and you say, well, Jeff, I don't know about that. Well, I, I, I'm trying to wean myself off of the imaginary arguer. So maybe somebody's saying this in their hearts. The human heart might say, I'm not sure I believe in that. Then you'll you'll probably never be consistently faithful. For some of you, you were taught years ago, 10%, and you never asked God if that was enough. You never asked him. Because somebody told you 10%, you looked around, put your finger to the wind, that's the wind that was blowing, and where you were trained, and 10%. And you, you never made it personal. You never asked God, God, what do you want me to give? 
Can I say this? Some of you choke at the idea of 10%. You're like, Argh. it's like swallowing a horse pill of reality. Listen, I don't preach the tithe because I don't think it's enough. I don't think a percentage gives adequate kingdom expression to the gratitude that ought to be in our hearts. I just don't see how we can do that. So I'm, challenge, I'm challenging you, and it's not a challenge like, this is for you. This is for your faith. Some of you that have never tithed, can I put on the mantle of Elisha as he spoke to her, and he said, go outside, get your vessels, pour out the tiny bit that you've got that you don't think you can afford to lose, and watch what happens. Some of you need to hear that. You need to go ahead and take that little thing in the corner of the bottle. It's your last little bit. You don't know how you're going to make it without it. Just start pouring it out in faith. Just start being obedient. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, God will bless the person who faithfully and generously crosses that line and says, from this point forward, the most I'll ever operate with in my life for my discretionary finances will be 90%. Just watch what happens. I... When I got saved, I may only end up with five of y'all left by the end of this, but just hang tight. When, when I got saved, for you that don't know, I was saved out of a life where 90% of my income went, was spent the day after I got it at whatever bar was closest to my house. I'm not exaggerating. Daniel, you know. You, we used to do that together. And you get paid. It was payday. And you wake up Saturday morning, and it's gone. So when I got saved... I knew what it was like to be broke, but all of a sudden I got saved and I wasn't drinking anymore. And I wasn't partying anymore. And so I was paying my bills. I got everybody paid off that I owed and, and got my credit straightened out. But I remember sitting down one day with Scott Johnson and I said, hey man, I don't know how this math works, but I am not going to bars anymore. I'm not getting drunk anymore. I'm not uh, pouring my money out on junk anymore but I'm still so tight, man. He goes, well, are you giving? I'm like, yeah, I give every time they pass the plate. And he said, well, let's talk about your giving. So I'm not going to bore you with the details, but what it boiled down to is I was, I was the casual, faultless giver who when the basket, this is a month after I got saved, the basket went by, I'm just like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Put a dollar in there, $5, $10, maybe 20. And, and thank God for him. Thank God for him. He looked at me, he's like, oh, God's never going to bless that. I was like, what? Yeah, man, you're not praying over your giving. You're not thinking about your giving. You're not prepared to give. You're just throwing money in a basket. He said, Jeff, let's talk about consecrating your life and your giving. From that day, it was a month after I was saved. And, and I'm just telling you this because I can't tell your testimony. I don't have permission. From that day forward, I've never done anything less than a tithe. And let me, let me give glory to God. I've never had financial problems except when I made a boneheaded move. When I operated, into, I've never had financial problems. Say, well, yeah, Jeff, you work at a church. We pay your salary, man. You need to get saved if you think like that. You don't pay anybody. You don't pay our salary. You tithe under the Lord, and the Lord takes care of the servants here. The point is this. When I entered into intentional giving as worship, it's worship. It changed the whole thing. It became a joy to me. So now if I get blessed and get a big... I got blessed recently. I, I did. I got blessed. And I talked with Amy, and I prayed about it, and I got to write a big check. 
Not to a creditor, not to anything like that. I got to write a big, check, a big kingdom check. And it felt really good. And by the way, the person, the people that blessed us were so excited when they got to bless us. And I thought to myself, that's how it's supposed to work. That's how we enter in to God's process of giving. So some of you, you don't think you can make it without that, that little corner of oil in the vial. I promise you, you can. You won't make it if you don't give it up. You hold on to it, you'll lose it. You give it, he'll bless it and pour it out. Let me give you this last thing. <clears throat> Verses 6 down through the end. I, I just want to tell you, God's going to honor the process via love. He loves you too much to let you trust in your money. He can't, he can't, he can't be a good father and let you trust in anything other than him. He can't. He doesn't even want to share that trust. He wants you to appreciate what he's given you, but he never wants you to, to hold on to it as if it was more important than his heart toward you. And so in, in verse number six, she, she, comes, she comes to Elisha, verse seven, and she says, we're out of vessels. He said, you don't need any more. Go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. <laughs> I love Elisha. He's becoming like my best buddy. I used to want to go chase Paul down when I get to heaven. There'll be too long of a line around Paul. I'm going to go find Elisha. Because the, 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 the touch of God on his life, she comes to him. All that stuff's in her house. He hasn't been in there. And she says, the oil stopped flowing. We filled up everything. Word of knowledge. He's like, yeah, go sell it all. You're, that'll be plenty to take care of your debts. And by the way, you're taken care of for, for, from this point forward. Go live on everything else. He knew the heart of God. He knew that if she gave that little thing of oil, God was going to take care of her debts and God was going to take care of her future. And so he just speaks that over her life. I'll give you three verses. I'm not going to preach them. I'm going to read them. Worship team, come on up. This is where you believe your Bible or you don't. Ephesians 4.19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That is a promise that is given to those who meet kingdom needs. It's not a blanket promise. If you read the verses around it, you're going to find out that promise is for those who faithfully give. So to, to those who faithfully give, God says, I will supply every need of yours, every need, every need of yours according to my riches in my son. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor him with your wealth. And with the first fruits of all your produce. That was their income. If you do that, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, you either believe your Bible or you don't. I have believed that and I've seen it come true in my life. If you don't believe it, you will not honor the Lord with your first fruits. You'll be scared. You'll be skeptical. You'll find out what the minimum is, or you won't do anything at all. But if you do want to honor the Lord, I promise you, you will learn, like my two friends that blessed us last week are learning, that, that you cannot outgive him. He says, pour a little oil out, and I'll give you a house full of vessels full of oil. And then verses uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, 7, and 8. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. There is a proportional law. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. It's great news. 
Each must give as he has decided in his own heart. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency, you'll have enough, you'll be okay. In all things, at all times. Did you hear that? All sufficiency in all things at all times, then you will be able to abound in every good work. God says, if you will enter into my process, if you will give, I'm going to bless you in accordance and proportionally with what you release. And you're going to find out as you trust me that in every single thing, you're going to have everything you need and some. How do I know there's an and some? Because he says every single need or opportunity, every work, every good work, you're going to be able to sow into that. The reason why he wants to bless you is because when he blesses faithful people, they don't keep it and guard it, they sow it. He's like, I, I got a field and I got some seed. And I want you to go out there. I'm going to give you some seed. Go out and sow it in the field. And what comes up, there's going to have seed in that too. And so I'm going to trust you with this seed because you're going to plant it. It's going to be a harvest. The seed from, comes from that. I know you're going to plant that seed too. God says it's an ongoing process by which the kingdom is financed. And if we will not clutch our seeds, I think it was Haggai that said, is the seed still in the barn? Not for you. Not anymore. So Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, how? In the name of Jesus Christ, break the chains of fear and doubt and skepticism off of the bride. Let her be free. And God, for those that only have a little corner of oil and a dusty vial, let them surrender it to you with confidence, Lord. For those that are blessed already with shelves full of oil, let them pour it out on others. Father, I thank you in confidence in the name of Jesus that the offerings we receive at Newbridge will go up from this day forward. That generosity will manifest itself in this house, not because of a sermon, but because of kingdom truth that is finding yielded hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you rise?